It should be noted that in this particular area of the world where much of the biblical narrative is taking place tends to be, if you're in the area where Isaac is at, a dry place, just outside of what would be referred to as the Fertile Crescent that is there. Certainly not Egypt, and when we think about these areas, water is not only essential, but it becomes a key theme throughout much of Scripture, Jesus himself even being referred to as living water. Wells, therefore, are very important, and this particular message today is, revolves around wells being, uh, being a, a, a big part of the story that, that sets barriers for our story here. But wells in this ancient time may not be what you're thinking about here in central Pennsylvania. We see well drillers all over the place. We know that they sometimes have to drill hundreds of feet to reach groundwater for homes. In this area of the world, where we're going to find Isaac at, outside of Gerar, uh, what we are going to see toward, outside of Gerar and towards the Red Sea, what we'll find is that wells that are, that are made in those areas are generally dug through solid rock. These wells would go to a depth of 19 or 20 feet with some as deep, if not more than 140 feet to reach groundwater. They are hand dug. This is the Bronze Age. There are no machines that do this work. It is purely by human effort to get to the groundwater. And it is essential because in this area where they're at, there are really no rivers. Occasionally during the rainy season, you would have what are referred to as wadis, W-A-D-I-S, that, that would fill up with water, and you could go online and watch some videos to see what that's like during the rainy season. They're very dangerous, but the water does not stay in these rivers. So they must get water from digging through the rock, digging deep, like an opening that would be about six feet to go down, say, 20 feet down to the water, they would have a stone across the top to prevent both evaporation and things from falling in and the danger of falling into a well, which is addressed in Exodus. So these wells are exceedingly important for life itself. For life itself. We want to recall, too, that the rainy season is only October to April, and the rest of the year is the dry season. So if you don't have water, you don't have life. If you don't have water, you don't have life. And we're going to recall from last week that he was, that Isaac was kicked out of the town of Gerar. That he was in and around Gerar, which is closer to the Mediterranean. In and around Gerar, and he, he had crops that yielded a hundredfold that were there. But now he's gone and he's in the valley of Gerar is where he's at. And he has his herds with him. He is not growing anything. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up this story. Uh, we're going to, it's broke, I have it broken down in verses 18 through 22, then 23 through 25, and then 26 through 33 is where we'll end today. So as we keep this idea of wells in place, as I go in 
to the story, into the historical narrative that we have here. We recall from last week in verse 17 of, of Genesis chapter 26 that Isaac departed from Gerar, from there, encamped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. He settled there. Verse 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. But the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the same names by which his father had called them. So after Abraham had died, after Abraham had dug these wells, the Philistines came in afterwards and filled them back up so they were unusable. Now we think to ourselves, why did this happen? Well, for what reason? Well, one thing we know is that Abraham was exceedingly wealthy and his herds were great. And for certain that anticipating perhaps someone would come after him to make the land less appealing... There's no obvious water. This water that he had, had previously dug the wells for is no longer easily available. It would take a lot of work to imagine a pit 20 feet deep, six feet around or more, filled to the top back up with rocks and dirt. To get that out again is a lot of work. So on the outset, it would prevent anybody from using that area. I do not want to go there because the water is not easily available. Right? We're going to prevent these, this Abraham and his family from coming back into this area. They're not quite like us. They worship a God we don't know. So we can think all these things on why they stopped at the wells, and it, and it makes sense. But you see, Isaac, his son, is in the same area now. We know that Isaac has, his herds are great. We know that he has people Many people with him too, servants, and a wife, son, and water must be had. And we also know that the Lord is with him. The Lord said, go and sojourn in this land that I will tell you about. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 26 tells us, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your seed I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. After his little misstep with lying to Abimelech, he goes out trusting in the Lord that this is where he needs to go. When, when, the, when Abimelech kicked him out, these Canaanites kicked him out, he just went further inland. He went further away from Gerar, further away from the Mediterranean, closer to the Dead Sea, Trusting in the Lord the whole time. And oh, that's right. My father had wells that he dug here too. So it makes sense then that as he's listening, being instructed by the Lord where he's supposed to go, trusting in the Lord, rather than trusting in his own way, when he finds these wells, right, it says there in verse 18 that Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham by the Philistines, but the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of, the, of Abraham, and he called them by the same names by which his father had called them. He needs water. He knows there's wells here. We're going to unstop these wells. We're going to pull the dirt, the sand, the clay, 
perhaps out. And we're going to see if they still hold water. In verse 19, it says, Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. So not only did we unstop the wells that his father had dug, but now the servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. Interestingly enough, that flowing in Hebrew uh, has a couple different connotations of meaning. Flowing is one, and living is another. It is living water. It is not stagnant water. It is that water that would sustain life in a desert environment, in an arid environment. So they find this well that is there. So he's trusting in the Lord. He's unclogging the wells that his father had, and now they found another one, which is in need of their great herds. But what happened? 20. And the herdsmen of Gerar contended with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. We're going to stop there for a moment. Now, remember, Isaac is a sojourner, a temporary resident. He does not own land in this area. He is, we're going to find out later, he's going to mention that he's dwelling in tents. These herdsmen from Gerar, this is my land. You're, you're, I don't care that you put the effort in or your servants put the effort in to dig these wells. This is our water because this is the land of Gerar. It isn't yours. This is not yours. So as we have this picture, so imagine all the work that goes in to excavate all this, this these, to dig through these rocks, to dig into perhaps the clay, to excavate and find the water. Imagine all the work that goes into that. And now these herdsmen who put no work into doing it put no work into getting the water out of the ground, getting to the living water that's needed, they come and they are contending, saying this water is ours. So they named the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Now, Essek in Hebrew, that's the transliteration of it, means to quarrel, means to wrangle, means to fight with. They had fought with Isaac, but then in his herdsmen, and then what happens in verse 21, what does Isaac, what does, what does he have his people do? They move on. They move away from that well where the contention was at, that well that looks so appealing that is not so appealing anymore because I've got to trust in what God has led me here. So if God has led me here, he's not leading me here to die. It says in verse 20, then they dug another well and they contended over it also. So he called it Sitna. Sitna means to be hostile with, to have en enmity with someone. Right? So we have these two wells that they dug that they found living water in, that they found water that will sustain the life of the herds and people. 
and they've had contention with the, with, the, with the herdsmen of Gerar over that. And both times they have moved away from those wells. Both times they have moved to some other place. Both times we see now that Isaac is trusting more in God's plan than he had before. We remember just a number of verses ago that he had told Abimelech that, no, 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 Rebecca, that's not my wife, that's my sister. I'm trusting in the Lord. But the Lord said, came to him, the promise goes with you as it went with your father. Trust in me. Go where I tell you to go. Sojourn where I tell you, tell you to go. Remember this sojourning too. Sojourning is temporary. Don't set up residence. This is not your permanent home, right? As he runs into this, uh, to, to, uh, to these uh, aggressive groups of herdsmen, he says, even though we put the work in, even though we put a lot of work into this thing, we're not holding on to this thing, we're going to move on. We're going to move on, right? We're kind of building towards a, we're building towards a point here in verse 22, then he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not contend over it. So he named it Rehoboth, and he said, At last Yahweh has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. So remembering the promises that had been given, he remembers the blessings that were promised, he finds this well of living water, and there's no contention over it. He names it Rehoboth, which in, in our Hebrew uh, turns into, means room, or great room. Uh, it means very uh, similarly of great room in the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And there is peace that is occurring here. Think back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah. Let's pick up in verse 7. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and we want to remember that Isaac is not a young little boy here. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. We could pull from this first section of the scripture of the wells that God will provide. We know that God will provide because God promised made a promise with Isaac, and God cannot lie, nor will he go back on his promises. So the first two of those new wells that they dug, they were contending over, they move on from those, they go to this place that they named Rehoboth, where it says we have room. Now we have room, and no one is contending with this, so this is a good thing. The Lord has provided for them. The trust in the Lord is what we're seeing here. And he continues in verse 23. So, God provides. We trust in God's provision for whatever that will be. 
Verse 23, and he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord Yahweh appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So Rehoboth, where he finds room, moves on to Beersheba. We're going to talk a little bit more about that name just a little bit later on because it comes back up again. And what happens? The Lord appears to him. The Lord comes to him. The Lord, again, he does not have the book that we have. He does not have the scrolls that we have. He does not have, have everything that we need to know about salvation that we have. What he has is encounters with the Lord and trust in what God is doing. And the Lord comes to him and said, I am not a different God, but I am the same God of your father. This is just a reminder that that God, that God that gave the promise to Abraham is me. You remember that promise that your father told you about? I'm that same God. This is a reminder. You've heard from me before. I'm reminding you again. You must have reminders of this. Human beings have a tendency to forget or get caught up in their circumstances. Forget who God is. Although we don't have God speaking directly to us through verbal or audible things or through dreams, we do have the more sure word that is here that has been given to us, that we have the reminders of these promises, why we have the reminders here of listening to this. And he says, do not fear whatever is happening to you. Do not fear because I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of my servant Abraham. What does this tell us? It says that the promise I made to Abraham did not die with Abraham. The promise I made to Abraham still stands. As we recall, and we'll touch on this a little bit as we get into Abimelech, as we recall that blood covenant that was made, that God made with Abraham, that covenant lasts not only between the two parties right then, but to the entirety of their families as they go on throughout time in the generations until somebody makes a significant change to that covenant. So here's a reminder, Isaac, this same promise I made to your father is the pr same promise that goes to you. I made that promise to your father not because of who he was, but because of who I am. Right? For the sake of my servant Abraham. And what does he do then? He says in verse 25, so he built an altar there. And what we see is we see throughout the Old Testament, uh, building of things to remember what the Lord has done. I've said before that you will find in the first about chapter 6 of 1 Samuel, you will find the, where we get the song, this is my Ebenezer, it's Ebenezer in the Hebrew, right? This is where the ark becomes returned, and Samuel raises this stone, it means stone of help, so they would remember that the Lord has done this thing. Notice something here. We need to remember. Why do you think we have the book? So we can 
remember. That's why I write things down so I can remember. Sometimes I'm up here and I'm giving a message and I wish I would have written down more so I could remember what I, what I, what I meant to do, right? But so what we have here then is a, another example that we will find in Joshua, Joshua chapter 4. If you just turn there just for a moment, uh, we, we find this uh, consistently. This is the entry into the promised land that Joshua does, where Joshua takes the people in. Just as an example, a closer example. And if we go to Joshua, say Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 4, with the main part being verse 7, it says, So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again before the ark of Yahweh your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you carry a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, in order that this would be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So not only do we see this setting up of stones as memorial, we also see it with altars being set up as a memorial. And what also are altars? They're a main focus of worship of the God of God. So when Isaac sets up this altar there, when he has had, uh, it, when things have happened to him here, when the Lord has been with him, when the, he has encountered the Lord that night, and he says, so he built an altar there and called upon Yahweh. And notice here where he says, and pitched his tent there. Now, the biblical writer, Moses in this case, remember, fully led by the Holy Spirit in the writing. That means that every word that is given here is important. And what we have here is it says, and he pitched a tent. What we notice there is that it doesn't say that he built a house. It doesn't say that he, he put permanent structures down. What it does say is that he had a tent. That he is still a sojourner in this land and he has not forgotten that. The land is good to him right now. Rehoboth, we have room. And now it says there that his servants dug a well there too. Which we understand by the text that, it's a, that it is also a well that has water that will sustain life there. right? But remember, remember, temporary. He is temporary in this land. You're just going to go there for a period of time and sojourn. You're going to be reliant upon the land there, not upon yourself. This is the land where I'm leading you to. Remember, there's a famine that has driven them out. And that's where we land as the, as the sojourner. And now we go to the, we would say this is the third act. So we had tension with the herdsmen and we would say there that Isaac trusted that the Lord would provide, and the Lord did. He had tension with the herdsmen. Then we had the encounter with the Lord, and the encounter with the Lord is worship of the Lord focuses, uh, focuses us on him and not on our 
circumstances. Focus, worship of the Lord, trusting in the Lord, does not allow us to rely or judge everything by our current circumstances. Okay? James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Isaac is learning these things. Isaac is maturing in these things, um, to know these things. So now he has uh, has had that quarrelsome with his herdsmen and the herdsmen of Gerar, but he's trusted that the Lord provide, provide, and they did. Now he is worshiping God because God is the only one that deserves worship, and that in turn will cause him to not rely on his circumstances or to judge everything by what's happening. And then a most unusual thing happens in the next section, which is Genesis chapter 26, Verse 26, now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahazah and Phicol, the commander of his army. Now, these were the same people that had, hey, leave our town. You're getting too big for us. You're just, you're increasing in wealth. Your, 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 your crops, when you had them, gave you a hundredfold. Nobody's seen anything like this. You need to leave. You're too much for us. You and your God just leave us, Right? But now here they are before him. They've traveled from Gerar to out here to near Beersheba, so it is no short journey that that takes you there. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you? Now a couple things here. We would also, if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 21 and and 22 through 32, which we don't have enough time to do, but if you go back there, I encourage you to do so, you would find also Abimelech and Phicol there. You're saying, well, hold on a second. This is almost 100 years in the future. It can't be the same people, and you're right. As I mentioned last week, Abimelech and now Phicol appear to be titles rather than proper first names for people. Titles rather than proper first names for people. And so Isaac, of course, there in 27, when they come to him, naturally, as many of us would be, be very suspicious. Why are you coming to me now? You Listen, I left. You told me to leave. I listened to what the Lord was telling me, and I left. And now you're coming out to me. You've traveled this distance to see me. Listen, I was just contending with your, your herdsmen, and I even left there. I dug nice new, my people dug nice new wells for you guys. And we left. Why are you coming to me now? Is this going to be a problem? So we see that a little bit of that suspicion of what is happening here. You know, he, you know, trying to understand why they've come to him. In verse 28, then they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So that's interesting. These are non-Lord worshipers. We see 
we see how you've been blessed. We see that there's some other hand here that is working with you. We know that you worship Yahweh, and we are seeing the evidence that he is with you. Because it seems like wherever you are going right now, it seems to, things seem to flourish. You seem to be blessed by this. Now we're kind of getting behind why they've come out to them. And he says there, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us cut a covenant with you. We'll grab a little bit of 29 there. That you will do us no harm. Herein lies the rub. Here's the problem, right? Isaac is growing in stature. And they perceive him as a threat. They perceive him as a threat to their culture, their life, whatever it is. They, Abimelech would perceive him as a threat to his position. Right? If we just take a if we just take a short journey just back just a couple verses in twenty six in verse sixteen Abimelech said to Isaac go away from us for you are too mighty for us and what has happened he's only grown they've sent him away from the away from gerar they've sent him away from the area that would be would, would fall inside the fertile crescent along the mediterranean and they have sent him out there and yet it seems like the lord is still with him he is still blessed he is still growing he is he he is seemingly successful and that could be a problem for me as the leader of gerar as the king of gerar he sees the work. As many of you could probably recite Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Isaac is literally living this. You know, they aren't just words on the page for him. And they shouldn't be just words on the page for us. But he's seeing it in real time. And guess what? Abimelech's seeing it too. Even though he is not a God worshiper. we have here let's cut this covenant so this is not uh if some of you uh have read uh much in the history of this time this is i'm going to use two two terms uh because they're the only terms you could really use for this uh it is not what this covenant is is not what would be referred to as a suzerain vassal treaty which we have a greater power uh, uh taking a lesser power underneath their wing and providing protection for them uh, sometimes we can we can uh, we can accidentally uh, uh, put that into here. That is not what this is, and I, the only reason I say it is because they're very common in this time. Rather, this is what you're seeing is a blood covenant that is happening here, and there's a couple reasons why we know it's a blood covenant. Number one is it said, "Let's cut this covenant with you." 
a blood covenant is a covenant that has sacrifice inside of animal sacrifices that are there. We're going to find out some more about that then too. Is the animal sacrifice that goes as a sign of the covenant, right? The Septuagint, which is which shows us how Greek, how they translated the Hebrew into the Greek, even tells us that when we cut this covenant in the Septuagint, it says passing between us passing between is what it says, which is the passing between of the animals in a blood covenant. If you recall a, a long time ago when we when we to- talked about this, the covenant that, that the Lord cut with Abraham is that they would cut the animals for the covenant. The two parties would pass between those and they would say something to the degree, should I break this covenant, may worse happen to me than what has happened to these animals. Right? It is fascinating that when the, when the Septuagint is, when they translate it in, because you have all the, now we have a whole bunch of Greek speakers after the, uh, after the, uh, after, after the Babylonian exile, that they talk about passing between right here. Right? The passing between the animals. So we just get a little bit of background. So it's definitely a blood covenant that is going on here. So it's very similar uh, to the covenant two that Abraham would cut with the other person whose title was Abimelech in Genesis uh, 20, 21. So we have this blood covenant, which means it goes, not only does the blood covenant last between us now, but it lasts between your people and my people ad infinitum until somebody breaks the covenant. So this is serious business that is happening here. Abimelech is going to kind of, kind of, kind of sweeten the deal, or at least try to, because I love how he says this. He says in twenty nine that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. Now apparently he's forgot about his herdsmen that were contending over the wells. But hey, that wasn't me. That was these guys. I don't know what they're doing. They're out there. They're being shepherds. They're doing things. You know what? I didn't authorize that. Right? I just want you to make sure that now we're, we're going to make this official. I think Isaac can see what's going on here. He's become, I don't like using the term, but almost to, in their eyes a force to be reckoned with. Man, we want to get on the good side of this Isaac guy. Right? We want to make sure that we're on the right side of this. We don't believe in this Yahweh, but I'll tell you what, the, Yahweh obviously, uh, he obviously believes in Yahweh, and Yahweh is with him, so we want to make sure we're on the right side of this. You know, so listen, listen, Isaac, you and me, we didn't have, remember I told everybody back in the town not to touch you when I found out that was not your sister, it was your wife? You know, just remember these things. I mean, let's cut this covenant, let's get the, let's make this official. I've done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of Yahweh love that. You are the blessed of Yahweh. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, so we would have that as the memorial meal that comes at the end of a, at the end of a, a blood covenant that's made, so this covenant is in place. And then in 31, it says, in the morning they arose early, and each swore to the other. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Shalom, right? Peace in the Hebrew, shalom. They've gone in peace. 
the, the relationship between those two parties and their subsequent, uh, the people that are under them, is peaceful now. Right? In 32, now it happened on that day that Isaac's servants, here we go, came in and told him about a well which they dug and said to him, we found water. Three different sections of this story and three different times we're dealing with wells. Wells of living water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now, beer, so a couple things. Sheba means seven. If it's not being used as a proper name, Sheba means seven. Beersheba would mean bear. Becher uh, uh, would be, uh, in the Hebrew, would be well. So we can see well of the seven. You'll find that they believe that as, we, as they look at that, that that probably refers to the number of lambs or goats that were sacrificed for the blood covenant, that it was the seven. So we've dug this well. While all this covenant making is going on, the servants are out digging wells and they find water. And so, go back to remembrance too. There's so many things you can push onto here is that we throw this name there, Beersheba. We're going to remember this is this is the place where this covenant was cut. This is the place where this covenant was cut. So they called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So now, this brings us to the end of that section. We have worshiping the Lord, uh, keeps us from focusing on our circumstances, gets us in right relationship. Uh, we remember that the Lord is with us. Uh, we know that the Lord provides. We found that in the, this section, right? That the Lord has provided even when it, when it felt like I wanted to, maybe he wanted to fight over those wells because we put all this work into them. But he trusted that the Lord will provide. Every good thing is from the Lord. And now we come here to the end. Uh, and we see this uh, covenant that is cut, which is just a, uh, is, 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 a, is a smaller version of a covenant that we saw that was cut between God and Abraham. A covenant that I'm sure that Abraham told Isaac about. And that that covenant that Yahweh made with Isaac, or excuse me, made with Abraham would go on throughout the centuries. This is entirely a historical narrative that points to the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. And it is playing out in the life of Isaac as we see it now. As a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, you find yourself in that covenant. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so know that those who are of faith, those are sons of Abraham. So if you are of faith, you're sons of Abraham, in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So we should find great comfort in that too. 
when we read the story. So now the question becomes, as we sit here today, do you individually believe in those promises? Do you sitting there, uh, are you putting your trust in the Lord in all of your circumstances? Have you kneeled at the cross and trusted in your Savior and what he's doing? Have you partaken of the living water from the well that is Christ? That well that never runs dry. John 4, verses 10 through 14. The woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So I ask you, if you're a Christ follower, do you believe that? Or are you out there working and digging in clogged up wells that don't give living water? Are you digging and working at things that will not save you? Are you putting your arms around empty cisterns that give no life? Are you putting your trust in Jesus, or are you putting your trust in things? Are you putting trust in your family? Putting trust in your job? I'm going to tell you what, they are empty, stopped-up wells. Because, man, I cannot get off this subject because it's so true. When you die... There is nobody else that is going to stand with you and say, hey, they were a nice person, other than if Jesus is there and says, he is one of mine. Whatever you're putting your trust in this world that is not Christ is not going to be with you before the judge. You have dug yourself down to an empty well that you thought would sustain you, and by the time you got to the bottom, you were worn out and exhausted for nothing. Digging through a rock that will leave you empty and blistered and thirsting. And quarreling for things that the Lord has already saved you from. So that's the question everybody has to answer today. Where is your trust at? Have you gone to the well of living water? Or are you hugging empty wells that are full of dirt, hoping that it will give you something. Let's pray. God, your word is the wellspring that leads us to eternal life. Uh, Your word is that thing which sustains us in the darkest of the night. We ask that you continue to allow us to, as long as we can, as long as we have the mental capacity to do so, to read your word and seek to understand you, that who you are is revealed by the scripture. We ask that that is sufficient for us, 
that we seek no other way other than to know your word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.